You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Good morning. It's exciting to be here. And uh, so I'm with Mission Canada. I'm a Mission Canada worker called to the university campuses, uh, specifically in Quebec. And one of the roles that I hold is a uh, Quebec Regional Red Frogs coordinator. And so this Anglophone, who doesn't yet really know French very well, um, gets to bring uh, Red Frogs into the rest of Quebec. And so we're really excited about that. I'm also an associate staff with the Christian Medical and Dental Association as well. And so what that is, it's, a, it's an international organization that uh, doctors and dentists are a part of, but also medical students are also part of it. And it's really funny because, again, as an Anglophone from Alberta, uh, I am trying to help bring that network also into Francophone Quebec as well. So... Um, this infographic here is uh, across Canada. So there, currently we're on 16 different university campuses from BC all the way to the East Coast. And so these are just some of the things. Uh, supported over 76,000 students, uh, 58, over 58,000 cups of water distributed, 660 volunteer hours, although I imagine uh, we're probably just estimating and it's probably a lot higher than that. Uh, over 3,000 pancakes served. 180 bags of gummies. Uh, the Red Frog's candy is specific to Australia. You can only get it in Australia. 8,457 freezies, uh, 4,000 donuts. Um, it's, it's amazing. Probably McGill takes most of the numbers because uh, McGill students like to party a lot. Um, but uh, uh, you guys have been part of this. Part of the reasons why we have these statistics is because of your support. And so we thank you. Thank you very much for doing that. Um, in about two weekends, we're about to jump right back into it with orientation week. Uh, I have met, uh, random panic attacks every now and again, thinking about all the events we have to cover. We have about 22 to 24 different events from uh, August 29th to September 1st. So within four days, we have 22 different events for different groups on campus approximately 6,000 students we're going to be serving. And um, <clears throat> so it's a lot of work. So please be praying for us, especially spiritually. We're going into some pretty intense situations. And so as a family, we always feel it. We always feel this time. We, we're a little bit more growly against, with each other and that kind of stuff. And so we really ask for, for your covering, especially for our volunteers. And... Uh, why are we doing these kinds of things? And like I said in the video, we want to be a good neighbors. Uh, McGill University has about 50,000 students that go to it. Just down the street, there's another university, Concordia. Within the, the greater area of Montreal, there's approximately 150,000 university students uh, during the eight months of the academic year. 150,000. I can't even, I still can't fathom that, and I live downtown Montreal. And, um, and so this, is, this has been an incredible thing. I actually even got an email from, uh, essentially it's, it's kind of like a beer gardens on campus and they're like, can you do all of our events 
for like eight days straight from noon till nine o'clock at night. And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> um, and and it's, it's just, we're getting invited into their world and we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus literally extended towards them. And, uh, but it was really interesting because what God has begun to stir in my heart, as McGill is really starting to take off and we're getting serving opportunities, I became aware of this study that our Southern Baptist friends have done. And what they have done is they looked at university campuses in North America and they wanted to see where they could be the most resourceful, what campuses weren't getting hit by any Christian groups at all. And so they looked at all the campus groups, they looked at churches within the area, and they wanted to figure out what is our, the, the gospel accessibility. And what they found is, is the top 50 campuses with the least accessibility to the gospel, meaning that there were very little active campus groups or churches within the area, all 50 are in Canada. 36 of those 50 are in Quebec. And so it's kind of like one of those moments when you're in ministry and you're just like, well, what do we do? <laughs> I'm not okay with 36 campuses having very little to no access to the, to the gospel. This is the whole reason why we engage with the party scene in the first place. Because it, what we were doing as churches and campus groups is we were investing all our time into this separate sort of party that was happening within the orientation week. And, and some people asked the question, they're like, what about the other 6,000 students that are coming to campus? Who's engaging with them? And again, like when you're a pastor, when you're a minister, you're like, it's a very good question. I don't know. Let's do something about it. So that began to stir. And so we have found, uh, we have found an amazing language center. It costs approximately $145 a year for 20 hours a week and two-month intervals, um, which is absolutely mind-blowing with how inexpensive it is. And so we've begun to do French language training. Uh, I know the people who are working, the, the, it's called the Forgotten 50 study. The guys who are leading it in Quebec, they're good friends of mine. And we're like, let's pray together and see how can we get these 36 campuses adopted by churches? How can we make sure that they are covered and that someone is engaging with them? So we're praying together. We're trying to figure out if what we've learned at McGill is transferable to the French side. How can we contextualize it? To French? So we got... We've got a lot of amazing work coming up, and I'm really, really excited for it. So, uh, uh, so yeah, that's, that's our ministry. That's our thrust. We're trying to learn French, so you can pray that God gives us tongues of French. That'd be really great. Um, so we can learn it and pick it up more quickly. My daughter is already practically bilingual, so um, she always does lessons with us. She's like, Dad, that accent isn't quite right. It's very Anglophone. I was like, oh, thanks. Um, so, yeah. Um, so today I wanted to talk about Colossians, and thank you for the word this morning. I, when, you, when you, sometimes I was telling Mark this morning, I'm like, yeah, I picked this passage, but I'm not sure. It was really great when I looked at it initially, but eh, it's a little fiery. And so your word was just like, was great. It was a good confirmation that the Lord has something to say. Um, so I'm just going to, I'm going to read from 24 to 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. 
To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The, the, the call to ministry is a very interesting thing. I can, I can see how the Lord has been directing my life to, towards this type of ministry for quite a while. Uh, I remember being, I don't, know, I don't know how old I was, probably under the age of 12, and I remember a missionary coming to our church at First, First Assembly down in Medicine Hat, and he started talking about his missions work, and I was like, oh, wow, this sounds crazy. Um, and I came up to him after. I was like, how do you know you're called to be a missionary? And he said, well, son, blah, 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 blah. And then he said, but you wouldn't be here talking to me if you didn't already know something in your heart. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm a picky eater. I don't know if I can be a missionary. Um, and uh, I was just, I was really nervous about this. I was really nervous about a missionary calling. But what was interesting is throughout my life and even into my teen years, I found myself always at a weird pull. I always had this weird pull within me because I was really good friends with non-Christians. And, and I was good friends with Christians. And I kind of described myself as this kid who was like, well, I feel bad for my good friends, my church friends, but I feel too good to hang out with my non-Christian friends, so I don't know what to do. I always felt that this was a struggle within my heart. Little did I know that the Lord was actually preparing me as more of an evangelist than I even thought that I was. In my mind, an evangelist is like, you know, like preaching and like people falling on their knees and repenting and all this kind of stuff. That's what I thought an evangelist was, but I've come to learn a lot more about what the work of an evangelist actually does. And so I can see how God was beginning to prepare me for that. I remember being at Briarcrest as well. If you don't know where Briarcrest is, it's on the southern part of the prairies. It's like, it's like a monastery, really, especially in the wintertime in Saskatchewan weather where you, it's 20 kilometers away from any civilization. And at first, I really enjoyed it. I came out of a season of, of some rebellion and some like, just I was like so thankful to be removed from the world for a little bit. But then I found myself getting really antsy. So I was in the military reserves for 12 years. And during my time at Briarcrest, I was in the reserves. And I remember driving to, to, to parade. And I was like, ah, I'm going to be hanging out with like real people now. This is going to be great. There was something inside of me that I was like, I need to be with people who don't know Jesus. And so this passage that we're reading has a lot to do with discipleship and growth. Discipleship begins prior to people meeting and professing Christ in faith. So some of the things that we need to know about Paul's letter to Colossians is that the church of Colossae were dealing with, uh, with a mix of philosophical heresies from Jewish backgrounds, Greek and Oriental religions, and Paul is addressing them. If you've never spent time in Colossians, please do. It's an epic book. It has some incredible things to talk about. And Paul addresses each of these heresies by pointing the church back to Jesus as being the source of all wisdom. He keeps coming back to Jesus all the time throughout his, this letter. So verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
So here's a little bit of a pathway to discipleship, but let me give you a little bit of a caveat to this. It's a pathway, but it is a pathway. It is not a guaranteed pathway to someone's journey to faith. Because sometimes what we like to do is we like to formulate, make things into a formula, turn things into a one, two, three kind of step. But if you, people are messy. People don't work that way. The Holy Spirit doesn't always operate in those things. He likes, he likes to do things the way that he likes to do them. And so we can observe some things. We can see some sort of pathways that come. But it's just like, okay, Holy Spirit, you just hijack the, plan, the, the plans anyways, and you do what you want to do. But we can notice some things here. We have proclamation. We have sanctification or warning everyone and teaching. And the end result is maturity. So being the good Bible college student, what does maturity mean? What is Paul saying? This is, maturity is the exact same word that Jesus says when he says, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. It's the exact same word. Well, thank you, Paul. It's not like you set the standard high or anything. Perfection, this is the standard, as our Father is in heaven. Paul is exhorting the church that he desires to see Christians and believers persevere in Christ. He wants to see them presented to God and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. This is, what, this is the goal that Paul is trying to say. He's trying to push towards this. And, and this, this, this maturity, this drive to perfection, happens right until our last dying breath. So uh, at Briarcrest, the, I remember our president, our, the president of the, the school in chapel one time was talking about meeting with Dr. Hildebrand, who founded Briarcrest in the 20s or the 30s. Dr. Hildebrand had been the, uh, a horseback riding preacher on the prairies, and he stopped in this town, he started a Bible college, did an amazing thing, sent out leaders and pastors and missionaries all over the world. Uh, Dr. Wells, David Wells, uh, is, is also a Briarcrest alumni. Uh, he did his master's degree there. Like, this guy has started an incredible work. And anyways, the, the president of our school was talking about sitting down and talking with him when he was in his 90s and said, what can we be praying for you as a school, as an organization? And he said, just pray that I finish well. And, right, and, and he's like, and this is a guy who started a Bible study in his retirement home and was still leading people to Christ, but there was this worry, this fear. Help me finish well. Pray that I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. This growth and maturity happens right up until the very, very end. If maturity, if, if perfection is the standard of maturity, how can we get there? How can we get there? So first of all, Paul says proclamation. Him we proclaim. Maturity starts before we even realize. So I, I love that, that you guys gave examples that I had already in my head. So conception till, till, till when it, maturity starts right at conception. At the, when, the, the, when the cells are splitting and forming into a human being, it's driving to, at some point, exit the womb and grow into an independent human being. So even as a baby, the baby is starting to grow and we're teaching it lessons, it's driving towards maturity. Before, it ev the baby doesn't realize that it's trying to become an independent human being. It just knows that it needs to eat, sleep, and, and, and go to the bathroom. That's the functions that it understands. And as a parent, 
We're trying to grow the babies up into maturity, into children, into adults, into teenagers and all that. We're trying to drive towards maturity before we're even cognizantly aware of it. When I was 12 years old, my mom said, okay, you're going to learn how to do your laundry. And I had to learn really quickly if I wanted clean clothes, I had to actually do the laundry. She held me to her word. Um, But it begins before we even realize it. And so even this drive, this, this maturity in Christ can begin before someone even professes faith. We can begin building disciples before they actually even say, okay, I believe in Jesus. This is what we are trying to do with Red Frogs. This is part of the goal of going into the party scene. We want to begin to uh, create ways and spaces to begin the proclamation of the good news of the gospel. If you can go to the next slide. I know you can't really see the words. I'm sorry. I apologize. But in this is kind of a pathway towards someone receiving faith and becoming, at the end, of multiplication. It says multiplication at the top. Sorry, it's, again, it's really small. But you can see the cross. That's the point where someone professes faith. At the beginning of it, it's called preparation of the heart. Okay? So in, in one way that we can talk about this um, is, uh, is, is tilling the soil of the garden. Right? I, we learned this in our first home when we tried to have our very first garden and grow vegetables. I remember dad being like, eh, I don't think the vegetables are going to taste very good in that dirt. It's pretty old. And I'm like, dad, dirt's dirt, um, in my very non-farmer way. And uh, he's like, oh, I don't know. You can try, but we'll see. And he was right. The carrots tasted awful. The beans were pathetic. And we just didn't do a very good job. You need to prepare the soil. It needs nutrients. It needs to be tilled. It needs to be worked. It needs, it needs moisture. It needs these things. And so the same thing with the human heart. We want to begin this journey. We want to prepare the heart to be able to receive the good news of the gospel. We need to look for ways to display the love of God and build trust so that we can actually proclaim the, word, the, the, the good news of the gospel with our mouths and the hearts are ready to receive it. Now again, the Holy Spirit can do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He can interrupt that plan and we pray Holy Spirit, interrupt our plans anyways. Like, let people come to faith at the party scene. That would be an amazing testimony. As they're coming up to get water, they get living water. That would be incredible. I wouldn't know what to do with that exactly. Like, okay, come, let's, uh, what? I can't, okay, great. Um, I would love to see that. I would love to see that. But I know that it's going to take time as well. It takes time to build relationships. And so we are going literally where they have never even met a Christian. How can, they even, how can they even begin to want to hear the good news of the gospel if they've never even met a Christian to even know what they're like? Because all they know is what social media and the news tells them what Christians are like. That's why when we say our funding comes from churches and they're like, churches? Do you work at a church? Yeah, I, I'm, very, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lot more vocal about the fact that I'm a pastor just because I love... I say pastor because it's easier than missionary or anything else, but it, I love the reactions that it inspires and the conversation that comes from it because they're like, you're a pastor? What are you doing here hanging out with, do you have a family? I'm like, yeah, I have two kids. You have two kids? You don't look old enough for that. I'm like, well, I, I am. And, uh, and so then they're, they're like, 
dude, like, why are you even here? I don't understand. Like, this is crazy. And it's like, man, because, like, I want you, the person who founded my faith told me that I was to love my neighbors. And you are my neighbor. And what better way to show love than to make sure that you don't end up on the hospital bed of dehydration and overconsumption of alcohol? What better way to show love of your neighbor than making sure a girl doesn't get raped? You think Jesus cares about that? I think he cares about that a lot. And so that's why we're there. And I love telling students this because it just makes their mind explode. We, have a, we actually have a married couple that started volunteering with us, and they have started telling their married friends, you need to do this. They actually pay for a babysitter so that they could come and serve students. And so what they said, they're, they're like, what better way to spend, we could spend $80 on, on going out on the town and doing this and this, or we could go serve and show people the love of Christ. Now, I'm trying to be the good pastor and be like, you are having date nights though, right? <laughs> like, you're not just serving. You do need to have that together time. They're like, yes, yes. I'm like, okay, good. Um, but we need to be, to proclaim the good news of the gospel, we need to be engaged with people. We need to be extending the love of Christ. Imagine being involved with the food bank, being a regular volunteer, getting to know the people by name, getting to know who is in their family or who their kids are, and then seeing them in Walmart or seeing them somewhere else, seeing them on, on the, street, uh, the, the, the street of Coal Lake. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to make a joke. Um, but, uh, but imagine seeing them outside of the food bank and like, oh, Mike, hey, how's it going? Oh, yeah. Like, all of a sudden you have a relationship with this person that you might never have had if you weren't involved in the food bank. Why do we get involved with these things with that? It, because we want to give food, because Jesus exhorts us, give food to the hungry and the thirsty. And we do it irrespective of the response that we get. We don't always get good responses. I remember one volunteer spending time with a guy who was really upset, and she just listened and listened. And she saw him the next day, and he was angry at her. Angry because he had been vulnerable, is my guess, he had been vulnerable, and he didn't want to be vulnerable with anybody. And so she actually experienced hate back. But she, should have, she wanted to extend it irrespective of what kind of response. We always want to do that. We must be patient practitioners to be able to, pra to proclaim faith. This is really important for people under the age of 35. <laughs> really, really, really important. Because there is a massive distrust towards institutional church or institutions in general. They have no reason to trust the church. And why should they? We've been rocked by so many scandals. We've been rocked by so many massive leaders within our, our, our larger church. There's just no, there's no trust. It's all gone. And so we have to work to build the relationships and show them why they can trust us. This is really, really important. And so then we can begin to proclaim the message as we're building relationships with them. Why are you doing this? Because my God loves you. And so I want to love you as well. Okay. I, don't, I still don't quite get it, but okay. <laughs> we're starting somewhere. We do want to orally proclaim the gospel. I'm not saying that we should just, just serve and, if necessary, use words. It is necessary to use words. 
It's very necessary to use words. But what I'm saying is, to be more effective, we need to show that there's a reason to trust our message. And then we move on to the next part. We have proclamation and then warning. Being presented perfect means that we're working towards sanctification. First John presents this dilemma. <laughs> Have you ever read First John? Have you ever been frustrated by First John? Because <laughs> he, he presents this dilemma of being like, all right, if you have Christ and you're walking in the light, then walk in the light. But if there's darkness, you're not in the light. If you say that you, uh, you're walking with Jesus, then you don't sin. But if you say that you don't have sin, then you're a liar. Thanks, John, for that clarification. But we kind of live within this age, this present, this age where the kingdom hasn't yet fully been manifested yet. Okay, so, so I, I, I've heard this explained like it's, it's like when the troops landed on the beach of Normandy, established a beachhead. The war was basically on the way to being over, but it wasn't fully over yet. There was still a couple years of fighting and moving into Germany and actually like defeating the army. So we're kind of in that same age where we're looking forward, we're anticipating the kingdom finally being manifested fully, and we can see him face to face, but we're not quite there yet. And because of that, we still deal with sin within our hearts. We still deal with the effects of sin. And so we want to really understand what's going on here. So one of my favorite things, maybe if I ever do a master's, I'll do a master's on this. David, King David in the Bible. He wrote the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. Have you read Psalm 119? I love your word. Your word is a light to my path and a, a, a lamp unto my path. And a, Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, over and over about how much he loves the word, how it's life, how there's freedom in it and all this. Do you know what he's talking about? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua, maybe Judges. Have you ever like, thought about that for a minute? Because <laughs> we can read someone 18 and be like, oh yeah, absolutely, the words of Jesus, like, yeah, yeah, we're in there, like Paul's letters, like, yeah, of course, it's... David wrote about the Pentateuch. These aren't necessarily books that we run to to find life and truth and the heartbeat of God. But somehow he understood something about God that he, he lived his life in such a way that, that he was described as a man after God's own heart after reading the Pentateuch. So this is a challenge, but I think part of this, if you read Leviticus, the first five chapters in Leviticus, it talks about the sacrificial system. And we begin to catch something about God in the sacrificial system. And one of the things that I notice is that it, it doesn't matter about your socioeconomic background. Anybody was capable of receiving, repent, uh, receiving grace and forgiveness of their sins irrespective of the sacrifice that they were bringing. So, so it writes and says, okay, for the sacrifice, like bring the bull. If you can't afford the bull, bring the goat. If you can't bring the goat, then bring some doves or bring a pigeon. If you can't afford that, then just bring a handful of grain and put it on the fire. The, the, the substance of the sacrifice didn't matter. 
The socioeconomic background didn't matter. God's heart and desire was for that all people could draw near to him, that all people can experience forgiveness for the sin that's within their heart. But another thing we notice about the sacrifices, you remember the commercial where it's like, do you do this? There's an app for that. There's an app for that. It's almost like that. There's a sacrifice for that. So he begins to talk about it and says, hey, if you commit sin and you realize it, there's a sacrifice for that. If you sin, you didn't realize it, but other people notice it and they point it out to you, you can have a sacrifice for that. But there's one more. If you committed a sin, you didn't know about it and nobody else knew about it, there's a sacrifice for that. Now, what does that tell you about our sin nature? Are we really good people all the time? We fall short of the glory of God. There are things we do to violate the law of God that not only we aren't aware, but even others in our lives aren't even aware of it. And I, I think David kind of caught this, like, 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 put that in your mind and then think of the verses where you search my heart. <laughs> you know every part of me. You know my deeds. You know, you know the thoughts of man. Why? Because he offered a way to atone for those sins that we don't even know about. So when we're talking about sanctification, this is why this is really, really important. Sin runs deep. And we need the community and the, the spirit who, who, who teaches us these things and draws us towards sanctification. Sometimes we need the community to help us in our sanctification and growth. This isn't a fun process. <laughs> that is not fun. It is not fun to have other people point out your blind spots. This, this happens in marriage, right? <laughs> Nobody is as good at pointing out your blind spots like your spouse. And sometimes it's a hard truth to receive. It's a really hard truth to receive. But we are attempting to do this communally. We are attempting to do this. We have these things called change groups. They're like small two or three people groups, uh, same gender. And we do this to try and grow in scripture. Uh, so we read through a book together and fight sin. These are, these are two or three people that are supposed to know you really, really well and call you out. Uh, we used to call them fight clubs at one point, which really appealed to guys like, yeah, fight club, yeah, punch my face, yeah, it'll be awesome. Um, not, not so much for everybody. Um, but, but it's this idea that if we can really nail down, if we can get to know a couple people really, really well that are, are going to see right through our manipulations and our hiddenness and all that kind of stuff, that they can call us and they can point us back to the gospel. And um, it's really important to do this, but it's really important to do it in love, to speak the truth in love. So we had, we had an example of a, of a student who had some serious issues. And um, uh, I'm, I'm newish to counseling. I, I love to like talk to people and um, but this was kind of one that there was some serious situations going on. And as we were getting to know, there was, there, was, there was one time I remember he was talking about something. And then I noticed five minutes into him talking that I had completely zoned out. I had no idea what he was saying at this point. And I was like, ah, oh, this probably isn't a good counseling skill. <laughs> um, 
But then I was like, maybe this is a thread to pull. Like maybe, maybe it's not just, maybe, maybe there's actually a reason why I'm, I zoned out. And I was just like, can I just stop you for a minute? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I, I don't think you know what you're talking about. And he's like, huh? And I'm like, I think you're just trying to throw a smoke screen and you're just hiding what is actually going on. Like, I don't think you're being truthful with me. I think you're just trying to, like, spout this whole story about how you're, like, whatever. And, like, I don't think you're telling me the truth. We need to get to the heart of the matter. He's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit, and I began to realize that it was actually the Spirit was, was calling me to call him out on that. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. I have another, another time, actually, when I was, I think, my, in between my first and second year of the summer, I came back here to Cold Lake, and we had a men's group, and a really good friend of mine was living with his fiance, who was not a Christian, and I was just like, and he's like, hey, dude, like, I'm getting married, and I'm like, oh, okay, and I remember going to the men's group, and I'm like, listen, I don't know what to do, like, should I call him out on it, like, like what should I do, and the guys were just like, you know what? We've always regretted when we haven't called someone out, but we've never regretted calling somebody out on something. Okay. All right, Lord. <laughs> and, I, and I did. I remember calling him, and I'm like, what do you think? Well, not quite like that way, but I was just, I was like, hey, man, like, you know that this isn't right. You know that you shouldn't be doing this. And he's like, well, what am I supposed to do? We signed the lease. I'm like, that's not my problem. <laughs> I'm just here to tell you what I believe that the Lord has told me to tell you, and what you do with it is up to you. And they ended up breaking up a week later, and I was the first person that he called when it happened. It wasn't an arrogant thing. It was just something that the Spirit asked me to do. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to be able to, to call people to a higher standard. We want to do it, obviously, with love, when we warn, we always want to warn with gospel hope in mind. Always. We always want to have that in mind. And because we get forgiveness of sin and our standing before the Lord is good, but we may still deal with the effects of the sin in our human relationships. Just because our standing with God is good, it doesn't mean that it erases the effects of what we have done. And I think sometimes we conflate the two. We think that just because we have good standing that it erases the effects, but that's not always the case. Sometimes there's still deep hurts and pains. But what the beautiful promise of the gospel is is that Jesus isn't going to abandon us in that. That he will walk through the grief of the effects that we have created because of our sin. That he won't let us, he won't keep us there. He will walk beside us and we get to sow this hope into people's lives. But there may be consequences to our actions. There might not be forgiveness from certain things. We might have to give it to the Lord's hands. And sometimes that's, that's painful. And that's really hard stuff to work through. Um, Matthew 18, 15, and 17 gives us really good practical steps for how to do this. If a, your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. In the military, we talk about it as like, deal with it at your first level. <laughs> like, go, go deal with it. Like, 
Go handle it. You don't need to bring everybody else in necessarily. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Bring other people along into it that are trustworthy. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So it's like, man, we love you. You can't be within this fellowship kind of circle, leadership type stuff. We love you. Like, we're praying for you. We're going to walk alongside you. But, like, you can't, you can't be part of this sort of inner circle at this moment. That's a, that's a really hard place to go. And we just pray and ask the Spirit, Lord, please don't, don't let it get to that point. But we still have a process to work through. It doesn't mean that we, we talked about fear, like, in the, in the song. We don't want to operate out of fear. We want to operate in the confidence and the boldness to know that the Lord has given us something to do and a task to do. But to do this, we need to know the people that we're talking to. We need to have close relationship and fellowship with people to be able to do that. It's not like someone who just sort of like shows up and like, dude, you need to get your life together. It's like, okay, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with this person? But may we never fear from calling out and speaking the truth in love. Teaching. This is the next part. In order to teach, we need to know the material. (laughs) It's really helpful. Um, The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Thank you, Mark, for setting it up. Uh, Jesus says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We need to know what, we, what it is that we are teaching. We, we're, call, we're calling people to do things, and we need to know what it is that we're calling them to do. Now, <laughs> I'm really excited about eternity because I feel like when, when we are finally like face-to-face with God, it's going to be like, oh, the Trinity it makes so much more sense now. Like, I get it. But then there's going to be other things like, wait, in light of this, like that means this, this, this is like, oh. I think we're going to be learning forever, and it's going to be amazing. The bookworm in me is like, yeah, we get to actually have like discipleship courses with Paul. Like, like yeah, it's going to be great. Worship services with David and the others. It's going to be awesome. Anyways, but we need to know this. We need to know what is our understanding of suffering? Who's the Holy Spirit? What is the Trinity? We need to know these doctrines. These are important things to know. We need to be growing in them. We need to have others who are discipling us, and we need to be discipling others. So sometimes imagine, imagine applying, like sometimes we say like, oh, don't worry, like, like serving and loving God, it's not about religion, it's just about relationship. Could you imagine giving that as marriage advice to someone? Ah, don't worry about that. It's just about loving the person. It's about relationship. It's like, yes, I'm trying to figure that out. How does that look? Ah, don't worry. Just love her more, man. Like, that's all you need to do. Like, but I don't know how to do this. My life is so busy and crazy. Like, I don't know how to have a date night. Like, ah, just love her more, man. Like, just have, it's it's all about relationship. It's nonsense. That's, it's not good marriage advice. We what, what, what someone is asking is like, how do I walk with God through watching my nine-year-old die of cancer? What does God say about that? We've had people in our fellowship 
you know, in Ontario that have dealt with that. What, what, what does God say to these things? Oh, don't worry, man. It's about relationship. Just love God. That's not an answer. <laughs> That's not an answer. So to teach, we need to know. We need to know what it is that we're teaching people. We, can, we do this through corporate gatherings, through sermons, teachings, books. There's tons and tons out there. But these three things, proclamation, warning, and teaching, these are roles that we play, that the church plays corporately together. We have, we all have people we're interacting with that don't yet know Jesus. When I, when I was, uh, when I, well, I didn't quite graduate from Bible college, but when Jeannie and I got married, we moved to Wainwright. I had a contract uh, with the base there, and I was working. And, and every day it was just like, Lord, I don't know how, but make me a light here. I don't know what that looks like, just make me a light. And uh, it led to some interesting conversations. And I'll never forget, uh, I was picking up a course, and I, as I drove up in the MLVW, if you guys know what that one is, it's an older truck. Ugh, they were a lot of fun. Anyways, drove up to get the course, and I just had this sense that something was just not right. There were troops running around looking scared and people yelling, and I was like, oh, this isn't, this isn't a good end to this, this course. <laughs> and I walked, I stepped out of the, the truck, and I heard the warrant officer, the course warrant from across the field, rats! I said, Yes, Warren. Are you praying for me today, Ritz? Uh, yes, Warren. Good, cause I need it. And uh, <laughs> he, and, but I, it was such a beautiful testimony that he knew. I mean, he was angry and <laughs> whatever, but he knew that that my faith was so important to me. He could order me <laughs> to pray for him. <laughs> okay, Warren. There was another time we were driving in a I was driving in a vehicle with another guy. Uh, we were supposed to be somebody that the course was going to do a recce on, and we were just like walking around, talking. We we're like, "Have you been here long enough?" I don't know. Let's keep walking. Uh, we're almost done, and then we drove back. Anyways, we we're driving back to our campsite, and um, he goes, "So, what do you like? You know, you're you're here on a reservist contract. So, like, are you working towards something else?" I said, "Yeah, I'm working towards being a pastor in ministry." And he goes. I knew it. And I said, okay. He's like, I knew there was something different about you. I'm like, okay. He's like, I haven't sworn this whole time. <laughs> and I swear a lot. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Uh, I had no, like, I didn't know. I didn't ask him to stop swearing. Apparently the Holy Spirit was just enough of a part that he was already being sanctified. <laughs> And he knew that there was something different about in our interaction, that there was something not quite all there that he couldn't place. So we have people that we need to proclaim the good news of the gospel to. We need to do the hard work of building up trust. It means getting involved with things like the food bank, it means, get it. it means inviting our neighbors over for a barbecue. Hey, man, why don't you just come over? We have an extra steak. We'll throw an extra steak on. Okay, why would you do that? Ah, you're my neighbor. <laughs> Jesus told me I'm to love you, so let's figure this out. <laughs> Maybe don't use that word, but uh, 
because you're really hard to love. <laughs> that fence, ugh. Anyways, um, but no, we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is, a, this is an amazing thing that Jesus has given to us after he ascended. He gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us, to put words in our mouth. He said, don't worry when you go in front of rulers. Don't worry about that. The Holy Spirit will give you all, everything that is necessary. He will give you everything that is necessary to minister in the moment. He gives us boldness and he gives us gifts to confirm that God is with us. Words of knowledge and wisdom and healing and tongues and all these things are to confirm that the Spirit of God is with us. We, we need and we must call out sin within our fellowship of others and warn when the Lord leads us to do it. And having a relationship with people is vital to that. It is absolutely vital. We must be growing and learning to teach others. And Jesus commands to teach all that I have taught you. And we're not left with ourselves. Verse 29 says this, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Notice Paul's use of his words. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He gives it to us. It's his energy and his strength that he gives us to be able to live up to the tasks. Because let me tell you guys, if you don't know this already, people are messy. I'm messy. We're really messy, broken people in need of grace and redemption often. And, and, and when I counsel people, sometimes I think, okay, I think I've heard probably the worst that I will ever hear. And then someone comes along and just raises the bar just a little bit more. <laughs> and you're just like, I, I didn't think it could get worse, but it, it's, it's worse. I say it a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but honestly, it grieves me. <laughs> it, it grieves my heart when I see people doing this. And I, I think I kind of understand Paul. He talks about struggling with this. I'm... Like, could you imagine being Paul and hearing from the church in Corinth that some guy is sleeping with his mother? Could you imagine how frustrating that would be for Paul? Why am I telling the church leaders to deal with this issue? It should be dealt with. See, he's struggling. It's like, oh, man, we have to, I have to address this. So we've been given the Holy Spirit who aids and helps us at every stage of this. He equips us and he gives us gifts to be the kind of community where these things that Paul is calling us to can work itself out. Paul tells us that when we give gifts to be able to work some of this out, to use it in love. 1 Corinthians 13, we often talk about it in marriage. I think Pastor Hayward, you preached on that, 1 Corinthians 13 at our marriage. It's often at marriage, but it's, it's in context of operating gifts, saying that like, even if you have like, words of knowledge and you know every single thing there is to know about the universe, but you don't do it out of a motivation of love, it doesn't mean anything. If you spoke every single language known to the universe, 
but you don't speak it out of love, it doesn't mean anything. So how can we, how can we make this love operate? This love is not possible if we don't sit and behold the horrors of the cross. This is so important. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave himself up for us. When we sit under the cross, when we behold it, we see the love that he gives for others. And how can we not help but forgive and love and suffer with others? Because Christ loved and suffered with us. Giving his life up for us. But what about when that person said this and this and this and it was really hurtful? Yeah, it's hurtful and we should deal with that. But it's like my mom always said, this used to drive me crazy. Why did you hit your brother? Because he was saying this and this. I didn't ask you about what he did to you. I'll deal with your brother. Why did you hit your brother? (laughs) Because, well, no. You're still not hearing me. Why did you hit your brother? I want to deal with why did you make the decision to hurt your brother? And in the same way, the Lord wants to deal with why we react in a certain way. He wants to sanctify our hearts so that what comes out is grace and love. We can only do that when we sit under the cross, when we see his hands raised, when we see the blood poured out, when we behold the the whip marks on his back the beating that he received, how can we not love and offer grace to others? There are, there are times when, I, when I'm operating in red frogs, when I'm at a party, and I'm looking out what's going on, and all I want to do is just weep. I just want to weep. I have no other prayer except forgive them, God. They have no idea what they're doing. There are other times I'm like, please, God, just come back right now. Like, just show up and, like, let people just, just lead a mass repentance right now. Can you do that? Can you just show up, please? Because my heart can't handle this anymore. As a, as a, as a father of a daughter and a son, it's, <laughs> it's so hard. We get the heartbeat of God. How can we keep the message to ourselves? How can we not proclaim it? That's why Jesus gave his life up, so that we can be his witnesses and his representatives in the world. I'm not saying you have to come to Montreal, although if you want to come to Montreal, you'd be more than welcome to. There's a lot of work to be done there. But what does he have for you here? What does he have for you to proclaim here? When we behold the cross that was given as a payment for our sins, how can we allow sin to reign in our hearts? Which is what John is getting at, which is what Paul is getting at. He's like, how can you allow this to continue to happen when Jesus gave you everything so that you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore? And how can we not see this as a continual work to teach others? So just in closing... Um, if, if you have never responded to the gospel, we w- I would relish the opportunity to pray with you. Um, and I know Mark and Pastor Hayward and others would absolutely love to pray with you about that. If you, 
if, if you need to confess sin, if there are things, we, we had the word already earlier, don't leave with unconfessed sin. Come, find someone. Pr- find someone you trust and pray and say, listen, we need to make this right. If, there, if there's unforgiveness towards someone in here, don't, don't let the service close without going right to them and say, listen, I said this, I'm sorry. Or I responded this way, I'm sorry. Don't, don't let it go another minute without dealing with it. And uh, man, if you, need, if you need to receive the Holy Spirit so that you can be in operations of the gifts that God has for you, let's pray for that. Let's pray for the Spirit to fill you up. So let me just... Let me just pray, and uh, I guess I'll call Pastor Mark up. Okay. So, Lord, I just thank you. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, we thank you that as we were reminded that the grave didn't hold you. And because of that, Lord, we get, we, we get all victory, Lord, that you have for us. We get to be presented mature as we continue to struggle and toil with all the energy that you give us. Lord, may we be presented mature in Christ. May we continually be moving towards that. Lord, I just ask that our hearts would be changed and transformed when we behold the cross. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a community to create spaces and places where we can build trust as the church with our community so that we can proclaim the good news of the gospel to others. Lord, I pray for for a community to be formed so that we can deal with sin matters within uh, our community, Lord, and may we respond with the grace and the forgiveness that you've given to us. And Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit that teaches us all things. Help us to continually grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.